We continue today in our series in the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 3. We'll be in chapter 3 this Sunday and next Sunday as we talk about the fall. Not the season. It is the fall. It's, a, it's October the 1st. Thank you, Austin. Uh, we're talking about the fall and man's departure from God's purpose and God's plan. So such an important and pivotal chapter in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bible, open it up or turn it on. It's always good to look at an actual Bible or to look at the Bible you would normally read. I like for people to do that because it kind of, when they go back to that during the week, hopefully it will they'll remember what God said to them. Title of the message today is The Covering. The Covering. Genesis chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. You know, coverings are really important in our culture today. We cover a lot of things, right? We cover the wall with paint or wallpaper or paneling or even mirrors sometimes because we want to cover up just the nasty old wall that's got all kinds of pock marks and all kinds of nail holes and all that sort of thing. We cover the wall to make it beautiful. We do the same thing with floors. We cover them with carpet and hardwood and tile in order to make the floor look good and be functional. Coverings are really important. We don't cover other things up, right? We, we cover up ugly things. We don't cover up beautiful things. No one builds a concrete wall in front of their ocean view, right? No one covers up pictures of their loved ones. We share those. We want people to see the beauty of your grandchildren, your children, your spouse, yourself. No, not yourself. Other people, right? Um, we don't cover up the things that are beautiful. We cover up the things that need to be hidden. We also cover up for protection, don't we? One of our most important things we cover up is our windows when there's a hurricane. We put up our shutters. We close our shutters unless you have impact windows. We cover things up to protect them and to cover things from danger. In football, the receivers have to be covered in order for them not to be uh, a danger to the defense. We protect our end zone by covering the receivers. Don't worry, the games don't start till 1 o'clock today, guys. You're fine. You're fine. Dolphins will beat Buffalo. It's really important for us to remember that. Um, today I want to talk to you, though, about a spiritual covering. A spiritual covering. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The first part of that verse says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent is crafty. Now the serpent here, you may wonder, well, are we talking about a serpent or are we talking about a person? Because he's about to start talking. God says in this verse that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God had made. It's interesting here that Satan has come to inhabit, to indwell, to possess a serpent. So at this point, really, the serpent and Satan are one and the same. But in this description, the writer is describing how crafty this beast actually is. The serpent doesn't come up to us like a lion or a bear and charge in and say, ah, right? The serpent glides up, sneaks up through the grass till it's close enough to do damage, doesn't it? I remember as a kid, probably 9, 10, 11, my 
siblings and I used to go to my grandma and grandpa's house for a week every summer. And they lived in the country on a farm. It was awesome. Fish and walk around, the, the, explore the countryside, build tree houses, do all sorts of stuff like that, eat fresh tomatoes and corn and rabbit or whatever else grandpa had. And um, it was a wonderful time. One day we were sitting out beside their big oak tree in this, on this picnic table and we're sitting around and grandpa is starting to tell a story. I don't remember a, the story, but I do remember that my grandpa, in the same voice as he was telling the story, he said, Yank, hand me the axe. For some reason, my nickname was Yank, and I don't know why. Um, he said, hand me the axe, and I thought it was a part of the illustration of the story, and so I, I got up, and the axe was over there. I picked up the axe, and I just handed it to grandpa, and and he just stood up, took two steps, and he cut the head off a copperhead right there in the grass, on the lawn. I didn't see it. No one saw it except for Grandpa. The dog didn't even see it. That's why you have a dog, right? That's how snakes are. They sneak up. They get close. They're able to do damage. I love that Satan inhabited a snake because it just reminds us of his very smart, very cunning, hard to see, sneaks up. That's how the serpent is. That's why this verse opens with the snake was, the serpent was more cunning than any other beast that God has made. Um, it is important to note, though, that snakes in general are not all evil. So if you see a snake cross your path, that's probably not possessed by uh, the devil, right? But as you see it move off, you can see how it moves, and it reminds you of that's how the devil moves. That's a good thing. But snakes aren't really evil in and of themselves. In fact, in Numbers chapter 21, what happens? God's people, shockingly, are impatient with God and grumble. Anybody ever know any of God's people that grumble? You can raise your hand or point to your spouse, either one, whichever works for you. Um, don't look at him, Tammy. Don't do that. <laughs> um we do that, don't we? God's people, they're grumbling. They're in the land. They're getting close. They're, they're in the wilderness. They're getting close to the land, and, and they start to grumble, and they say, God, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why couldn't we have stayed there? Why did we have to eat all this crummy food? All that kind of stuff, and God sends some vipers to bite them, and they start to die. And God says to, to Moses, I want you to craft a serpent out of bronze, and I want you to lift it up. So that when people are bitten by the snakes, they can look at the bronze snake and be healed. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus references it in John chapter 3, verse 14. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that people can look to Jesus and be healed of their sin. It's an incredible picture. Verse 1, second part of the verse, it says, the serpent said to the woman, and let me do my best serpent imitation, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? He's slick, he's smooth, 
And the enemy knows that if he can get you questioning God, he's got you moving in his direction. Did God actually say you can't eat of any tree? He changes what he knows God has already said just enough to make it not true. But it sounds close. And he's making God sound what? Very restrictive. Unreasonable. Has God created a situation where you can't eat? That's terrible. He knows there's a vulnerability there. And he's building a case against God by questioning what he says and changing it slightly. Listen, that's why we preach from the Bible. Because I always want you to know you can go find it in the Bible. If I say anything you can't back up in the scriptures, we shouldn't be saying it, right? When someone changes God's word slightly, you need to get out of that conversation. Because they're probably not trying to help you. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, hey, let me stop there. Why is she talking to the serpent? You ever wonder that? thinking what are you doing talking to it and why is there a talking snake first of all what's going on here well as odd as that seems we do know that okay satan has possessed this snake and we know from jesus encounters with demons that in fact they're able to talk so it's not crazy to think that the snake could talk it's actually satan speaking through the snake so you can kind of get there but also remember Eve was not around when Adam was studying all the animals. Adam studied all the animals. and Remember, there was not found one like him. There was not any, any animal found that was like Adam. And so he's, he, but Eve wasn't there for that. So her understanding of snakes and serpents and, and animals was not as great as Adam. So she's having this conversation with the snake. She says to the serpent, well, one more thing. It's interesting that at this point we should see some danger here because God created a hierarchy. It's God, humans, animals. And right now we have animals beginning to speak authoritatively to humans, and that should always worry you. Because we want to get our authority from God, not from below. Listen, let me just tell you, don't talk to the animals. Or don't listen to the animals. Don't let animals begin to drive your narrative of God. You can see attributes of God and what he's created, but don't be ruled and fooled by lower level creatures. And the woman said to the serpent, you may, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Notice what she does. She adds a level of restriction that God didn't have. She says, you shall not touch it lest you die. That's not what he said. He said, don't eat it or you will die. In other words, it feels like what she is saying is, you know, God said, don't even brush up against it because if you do, you're going to die. That's not what he said. Now, it's a good idea to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a good idea not to touch it. But God didn't say you will die if you touch it. He said, you'll die if you eat it. Some people will be so afraid of sin that they won't even talk to a sinner. You don't get corrupted by trying to help someone who's far from God. You get corrupted by becoming a part of their life and doing the things that they do. 
But Eve is headed down that trail to where God is very restrictive and really doesn't want what's best for us. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. You will not surely die. It's an out and out lie. It's repeating what God has said. You shall, you're not going to die. That's not going to happen. And he follows up very quickly with, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there it is. There it is. You're not going to die. God's withholding something from you. He doesn't want you to have something that's really good. And you know what that is? He doesn't want you to be in his will. That's how God is. He's trying to hold you down. You know, the enemy knows or at least suspects that this is going to be key human vulnerability. And I think he suspects this because this is his vulnerability. This is what got Satan in trouble. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, describes this very well. It says, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn, referring to Satan? How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the earth. Satan says, I want to be on the throne. I want to be on the throne. That's what got him thrown out. That's what cost him his position. And this is just the essence of everything he tries to do in our lives today. He wants to tell you, you deserve this. You deserve that. You need to be exalted. You need to be lifted up. You don't really need to listen to God. Actually, you can make your own rules. It's very tempting. See, it's the desire to put ourselves on the same level as God that is at the heart of all sin. In fact, the core of all sin is the desire to make ourselves equal to God. See, if God is our master, we would never do what he told us not to do. It's really simple. Is God God or are you God or somebody else God? And you know what? Picture Adam and Eve. They're in perfection. They're in paradise. They're in the Garden of Eden. God has built this part of his creation to be amazing, to have exactly what they need. He's held nothing back that's good for them. See, God doesn't hold back what's good for them. He didn't even hold back his son. We can never succeed in becoming as like God. The good news is we can become his children through his son, Jesus. Let me just ask you, are, are you at war with God? 
struggling with him being God? Are you struggling with making up your own rules? Are you saying to God, no, I want to live this way, and he's saying, no, it's, it's just not best for you? I want to encourage you as we move through the rest of this passage. Make him God. Let God be God. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She perceived that it was good for food. It looked so enticing. She never had any of that fruit, but it looked like really good fruit. And it was beautiful. It was something that she wanted to possess. It was, it was she was going to enjoy beauty. And the enemy, Satan, the serpent, had told her that it would make her wise. Now, she couldn't have known that by looking at the fruit, right? All the other things that she'd eaten didn't make any or any wiser than she was. But she, the enemy had told her it was going to make her and of all the three things, the three things that she said that it's going to make her feel good, make her ha- it's beautiful, and make her wise, that's the one that probably is, again, at the heart of it. The other two probably just went along. Actually, oh, it's not only it's going to make me wise, but it's also going to be good for food, and it's beautiful. We kind of build that case, don't we, when we're about ready to go for a walk. It's not just one thing. It's usually three things, and in fact, um, these are the three things that throughout Scripture that are human weaknesses, human vulnerabilities. First John uh, chapter 2, verse 16, the Apostle John writes, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. That's really what it's all about. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. What will make me feel good, what will look good that I can possess, and what will make me really cool. Because that's really what the pride of life is. I want to look good. I want people to understand what I have to say about me. You might wonder, why did God do this? I mean, couldn't he have just tweaked something so that we would have resistance to this. Couldn't he just have made it so that we wouldn't be enticed like this? I mean, couldn't he have just said, listen, food is not that important, and we, no, see, here's the thing about God. He made us to be able to respond. He gave us a capacity to choose what we would love. Don't you love that about God? See, if he didn't make us able to be enticed, he would, we would have never been enticed by Jesus himself. What brings him the most glory is when you say yes to Jesus and no to the enemy. When you say, yes, I want you to have my life rather than me running my life. That, that's what brings him glory. I mean, imagine going up to your wife and going, you know, honey, I... I feel like I have to love you because I'm frustrated. Doesn't that just make her feel good? We've been married a long time, so I have to love you. So I guess let's go out to dinner, okay? It's going to be really fun. 
No one wants that. If you're compelled to, if you have to, oh, what, what brings you joy is when someone chooses. Says, yes, I want to be with this person. Even when he's old and ugly like me, I, I want to be with this person. See, God says, I wanted to give you capacity. Because if there's no capacity to choose something else, your love for me is meaningless. That's how God made you. Here in the Garden of Eden, in the midst of God's best, where humans are living out their design purpose, human weakness is exposed. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil checks all the boxes for Eve. And incidentally, what the heck is Adam doing? What is he doing? Watching the game? Scrolling through his phone? What, what is he doing? Is he planning his next move? I, what is he doing? And as someone reminded me of in the first service, you know, Eve wasn't around when God made this man. But you had to hear this from Adam. Adam, what are you doing? You know, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, he says that, he says that Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Eve was fooled. She thought this was going to be great. She was deceived. And some sin is like that, right? We're deceived. This is going to be a great thing. I think this is going to be wonderful. It's, you know, I should bet all my money on that football game. And now I've lost it all. Oh, it didn't really work out, did it? I was deceived. Were you? See, Adam wasn't deceived. He knew the character of God. Adam knew all about the sin. He was an expert on purpose. He was not fooled. He knew what was about to happen. He had heard the commands of God. But you know what happened? Adam knew it, and he did it anyway. You know, sometimes we're deceived. Sometimes we know what we're doing wrong. Sometimes we know the consequences when we do it anyway. Sometimes we're deceived, and sometimes we just do what we know is going to be wrong and bad. That's just our nature. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. They were uncovered. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They didn't have that moment before they ate the fruit. They didn't feel uncovered before they ate the forbidden fruit. But you know, when you've sinned, you've got to cover it up. It's often said in politics that the cover-up is way worse than the crime. And so the Adam and Eve begin to realize we're, we're uncovered. We've got to cover up. And that's throughout Scripture, the nakedness is a sign of sin and, and, and needing to be covered. And so what do they do? They, they scrounge around and they find the biggest leaves they can find, the fig leaves, and they, they sew them together somehow and cover themselves up. And then they hear God coming in the, can you imagine the terror of that moment? You know, before when God would arrive, it would be a joyful time because he would be showing them more things and they would be working with him and his creation. It was an incredible time, but now it's time to hide. And what they're hiding behind constantly has to be the truth. 
See, when we try to cover our own sin, we constantly have to cover it with more and more because the coverings that we have fall away just like fig leaves that dry up and turn to dust. And that's, we spend all of our time just covering up and making sure that we're, it's not noticed that we've sinned. And that's where Adam and Eve are, and they're about to be distant. When we feel distant from God, it is a result of our own sin. One of my football coaches used to tell me in high school that if you feel far from God, he moved. See, God's still there. God's coming to see them, but what are they doing? They're retreating back into the closet. I don't want to be seen. Let me ask you, are you there today? Are you there? When you think of actually letting God in and see you, is it terrifying? See, we all need to be covered. Everybody here needs to be covered. Because everybody here is a sinner. Everybody here has sinned. Everybody here needs to be covered. But praise God, there's a way better covering than hell. I'm so grateful. Down in verse 21, we get to see a picture of that covering. Verse, chapter 3, verse 21 says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. I want you to get this picture. Adam has studied the animals. He's become very familiar with the animals, and he may have even become attached to some of the animals. But Adam's skin caught them out. Could you imagine being Adam, watching an animal being slain to cover up his sin? An, an animal's blood had to be shed to cover Adam's that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done. That animal and all the animal sacrifices throughout the Old Testament point forward to the ultimate sacrifice. The Jesus that would be lifted up, that when we look to him, our sin can be, can, can be covered and we can be forgiven. It's an incredible picture that God gives us in chapter 3 of Genesis that looks forward to the entire rest of the Bible. He provided a covering. And the covering of Jesus is perfect and it's permanent. Satan is crafty. He uses powerful tactics. We humans are vain. We want to be we want to possess beauty. We want to feel good. And when Satan's tactics connect with our vulnerabilities, he's dangerous. You might say, doesn't knowing Satan's tactics and our vulnerabilities help us not sin? Absolutely. And we'll talk next week about some more strategies to cut down on your sin. But um, the reality is we still sin. Which leads to the question, why would God make us this way? And knowing that he was ultimately going to have to shed his blood himself, why did he do this? What, what could possibly be the reason? And Romans 5.8 gives us a beautiful answer. It says, but God shows his love for us 
And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows, God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did it to show his love, to show the depth of his love. So we would never know that he never had to pay the price for the covenant. We're designed for dominion, to be God's representatives in his creation. But when we sin, we toss away that dominion and seek an alliance. But Jesus purchased the covering. The covering that, as Psalm 103 says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Don't you love that? You don't have to carry around these transgressions. You don't have to carry around this need to constantly be covering up. He'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. That's the covering that Jesus has made. Are you experiencing that today? Or are you worried about that covering? Maybe you're thinking, I've got to make my own covering. You're still trying to cover up with fig leaves. Jesus has made a covering for you. A permanently covering. When I was in high school as a senior, I actually got a date for homecoming. Praise God. Just a friend, but hey, had a date. And uh, went with some other friends, and we were going to go out, and the plan was to go to a really nice restaurant in St. Louis that time called Musial and Biggie's. It was owned by the former Cardinal Drake, Sam Musial. And um, I had a plan to go, and I was telling my mom and dad, and my dad said, you know what, I want to I wanna cover dinner for you. I said, that's awesome, because I got $3.50. Even though it was a long time ago, that still didn't cover dinner. Um, so my dad said, I'm going to cover dinner, and here's what's going to happen. When it's time for you to pay the bill, they're just going to bring you my credit card slip, and you just pay. What? It's on the covering. We went to dinner at a nice time. The bill came. I signed it. You know what I didn't do? I didn't spend the dinner worried about paying for it. I didn't spend the dinner thinking, I got $3.50. I hope she doesn't order anything. Let's just have crackers and water. We don't really like each other anyway, so what's the big deal? I didn't do that. And you know what else I didn't do? At the, when the, they brought the bill and it was already paid for, I didn't stand up and go, no, I've got $3.50 and that ought to be enough. That's what we do when we say, Jesus, I don't want to accept this. Just cover it. I'm good with it. I didn't do that. You know why? Because I trusted and I thought of him. I never doubted that he had a covering for me. There was no way I could take it. I trusted my God. See, when you trust Jesus, you're saying, I got $3.50 to cover my million-dollar bill, my infinite amount of money. When you trust Jesus, you're saying, I'm trusting you, Jesus, to cover my sin, to cover what I owe. Because I got to have 
You've talked about it, you've thought about it, considered it, thought maybe you had a covering. Let me ask you, do you have a covering today? Do you need a covering today? To get this covering, it's as simple as signing up. It's as simple as saying yes to Jesus, I need you to help me. I admit it, I can't do it. Jesus, would you cover me? Jesus, would you cover me? You know what? I'm going to just take a moment right now. I want us to bow our heads this morning. Because I'm thinking there's probably a few here who need to be covered. If that's you, before the Lord, before the Lord right now, would you say yes to Jesus? Simply say, Jesus, know I'm a sinner and I've been trying to do all kinds of things to make up for it but I know there's nothing I can do to cover myself would you Jesus cover me in your name I pray if you prayed that prayer I would love to talk to you after the service it's so important that you be covered don't miss the opportunity to be covered now, if you've already received that gift and you've been baptized, you've made that statement to the world that I've been saved by Jesus Christ, you're invited in just a few moments. We're going to come and receive the Lord's Supper because these elements, they represent the covering. Jesus said, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood. It's the new covenant. It's the covering for sin. We do this to remember how to forgive. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Take just a moment. Would you bow with me? Because even those who are following Jesus, we still need to live a repentant life. Before the Lord right now, what is he convicting you of? An attitude? Thought life? Actions. Really claiming to be God and not even being dependent on God. Would you ask him right now to forgive you? You see, when we come before Jesus, eyes closed, heads bowed, we need to pray until we feel different when we pray. When we stop praying and we haven't changed, we don't feel any differently, we haven't prayed about the thing that God's really after. Simply pray this. Ask Jesus, Jesus, would you, would you forgive me like you promised? Would you cleanse me of all unrighteousness? Because I don't want to take these elements in unworthy ways. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're ready, you may come forward and receive these elements and then return to your seat and we'll take them together. Christ on.